Welcome all of you on YouTube and Facebook. Thank you for joining with us. We are continuing our study in the book of Joshua. We're looking here. We're at this, in the second chapter. We want to finish the second chapter. And Lord willing, go into the third chapter. Last week we left up, off looking at Rachel, her life. We were in Joshua chapter 2. And just a very, very brief review. We know that Joshua is getting ready for what will take place in three days, the Bible tells us. And the Lord told them that they would cross over into the promised land. But God didn't give them the exact instructions on how he was going to do it. And, and that is really what we've been studying. Our theme overall is entering the unknown. All of us will experience a time where God is leading us and we're not sure what he's calling us to do. All of us will experience a time where we are transitioning from what is familiar into the unfamiliar. In fact, whenever there's true growth in your life, there will always be a transition. Transitions are always meant to bring you from one level to the next. And in that one level to the next, you will face the unknown. You will face giants. You will face the unfamiliar. And how you respond in the unfamiliar will determine your destiny. How is Joshua going to respond to this new land? These new challenges? By faith. That's how he did it. And that's what we see very clearly in the book of Hebrews. In the hall of faith in chapter 11 we read about these men and women who exercised faith. They trusted in God in the midst of the unfamiliar. They trusted God when they didn't have all the details. They trusted God when things were going bad and they didn't know who to turn to. They trusted God when they were shipwrecked. When they were abused and beaten. They were trusting God when, when life didn't make sense. When there was no food to eat and no water to drink. And we came across a character by the name of Rahab. She's a hero in our text. And the Bible tells us, this is just by way of review, we're going into our text in a few moments, but Joshua sent out these spies, and they had to walk five miles to Jericho. This was their first destination as they entered into the promised land. They didn't have specific directions, as I meant. As I shared with you, God was directing them each and every day. God was leading them. God doesn't always have a road map for you. God doesn't always give you the details. Why? So you can trust him each and every day. So you can depend upon him. And so God says, I want you to go into this land and I want you to go to Jericho. And once they were in Jericho, God led them to Rahab's house. This was the first encounter, Rahab, there in Jericho. And something powerful took place as they met Rahab. Now, why would God lead them to Rahab? Who was Rahab? Figure that Rahab was some godly person. Rahab must have been somebody special. And she was. But from a natural perspective, she'd be the last person that you'd think God would send his spies to visit. And you discover very early, my brothers and my sisters, that when God does things, it doesn't always seem to make sense. We've talked about that over and over again. Rahab was 
a Gentile. She was a prostitute, an Amorite. She, she was a woman who was looked down upon. Why would God send me to Rahab's house of all the people to send me to? But there is always a reason. God has the Rahabs. He has people that you wouldn't pick. Would you pick the apostles? Would you have picked Peter? Would you have picked these men that doubted Jesus, that were up and down? Many of them didn't even know who Jesus was, even while they were walking with them. They weren't clear, even in his mission. Would you have picked these men who were, Bible says, ignorant, emotional? Most of them didn't have faith to even trust God. Yet, they were chosen. We see this over and over and over again in Scripture, that God will choose and do things through people that you and I would never choose. Why? So that God would get the glory. So that God would be seen in them, in that situation. And so they end up here at Rahab's house. And Rahab is mentioned twice in the New Testament. Both times she's mentioned with honor, not with dishonor. So yes, she was a prostitute. Yes, she was a Gentile, but God is going to do something powerful through this woman. God is going to do something absolutely amazing through this harlot. She lied. Yes, we know that. God doesn't condone lying. But there was a purpose for that as well. She was forgiven of her sin. And this speaks of God's grace and God's mercy that God can change any man, any person. God can change your life. God can do things that no man can do. He can turn a Jacob into an Israel. He can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He can transform Judah. Yes, Judah. We think of Judah, the great tribe of Judah, the great man Judah, that the Messiah would come through the tribe, the lineage of Judah. Can you imagine that? Judah. Yes, it was Judah who slept with his own daughter. Judah, who lied and deceived his daughter-in-law over and over again. His daughter-in-law who outsmarted him. My goodness, the shame of it all. Yet it was him that God dealt with. It was him. God touched his life. People that just, you and I would not choose. Prostitutes and Gentiles, liars, deceivers. Because God operates on a different level. He sees things that you and I don't see. And I wish I had more time to speak on this, but we got to continue here. And so, God didn't honor her lie, but he honored her faith. Faith becomes the key. In every transitional period, every time you enter the unknown, my brothers and my sisters, whenever God's doing something new, something different in your life or in my life, you can be sure you're going to need faith to continue to walk in that because a lot of times when God's doing something new, it won't make sense to you. You won't fully understand it because it's new. You haven't been there before. God took him from the wilderness, the familiar to the unfamiliar. And that's what God does. He takes us from the familiar 
to the unfamiliar. And in the unfamiliar, you're going to have to exercise faith because there's going to be a Jordan that you got to cross. There's going to be manna that you got to pick up. And there's going to be giants that you're going to face that are much stronger than you and more powerful than you. And so, Rahab, we left off in verse number 8 and verse number 11 of chapter 2. And so let's begin there. That was just a very brief backdrop. Notice now in verse number 8. And before they were laid down, she camped up to them upon the roof. And she said unto them, Men, know that the Lord hath given you the land. This is Rahab speaking. Is she a prophetess? Is she some Hebrew scholar? Has she been walking with the Israelites? No, not at all. But she's giving them a word. And that your terror has fallen upon us. That all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you. When ye came out of Egypt. And what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites. That were on the other side of Jordan, Cheyenne and Og. Whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did we remain any more courage in man. Because of you, the Lord your God, he is God in all of heaven and all of earth. What? She's preaching a sermon. Here's this prostitute Gentile who had no experience. She's not seen any of this. And now she's preaching to these men. What in the world is going on here? What has happened to Rahab? Why is she doing this? What has happened to her heart? She's not seen anything. She's not witnessed any of this. Oh, my friends, and that's why she was so great. The Bible tells us after Rahab sends the kings and men away, she goes up to the roof and makes an incredible statement that we just heard. She knows, I know the Lord has given you the land. We heard what God has done and our hearts have melted. And all she had was a testimony of other people. Did you hear that? How did she know? Well, probably she heard it from men who frequented her house. I don't know. How would she hear this? We don't know. She heard of how God sent the plagues to Egypt. How the Lord dried up the Red Sea. How the Lord provided miraculously in the wilderness. And she decided to believe even though she didn't see it. Well, you see where I'm going with this. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She never saw anything. She just heard and she believed while others not. Isn't it amazing? The Israelites saw the miracles, but they didn't believe. Whoa, she didn't see the miracles, but she believed. Oh, I've heard it. I've been pastoring a lot. Oh, pastor, if I can only see a miracle, I'll believe. Oh, yeah, really? Really? If I can only be healed, I'll believe. If I only see, I believe. Well... I know many people who have seen miracles and they still don't believe. It's happened many times. I shared how many, I prayed for a young man. He had stomach cancer. You probably know the story. His sister Carol came to me and said, you know, Dino, my, 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 my brother's dying of cancer. Can, can you pray for him? Can you go to the hospital and pray for him? I said, sure, I will. I fasted a couple of days and I went to the hospital. To pray for this young man. His name was Nelson. And so I said to Nelson. You know. Uh, Nelson. 
God loves you, man. I, uh, I'm going to pray for you, but like, do you know Jesus? He says, no. I said, do you want Jesus to touch your life? He says, yes. I prayed with him. I said, I said if God heals you, will you, will, you, will, you, will you just trust him? Will you give your life to him? He says, yeah, I'll give my life to Jesus. If he heals me. I said, okay. Well, I prayed with him. And uh, found out. Doctors were absolutely amazed, shocked, that this man was healed completely of his stomach cancer. The doctors could not believe it. Gloriously healed. His sister Carol couldn't believe it. She was, in, she was amazed at what God had done. And so I went back to the hospital as he was after a few because they didn't discharge him right away. I forget how many days after that. It was, they were all in shock. They couldn't believe it. So I talked to Nelson. I said, Nelson, you're leaving the hospital. Yeah, I'm leaving. I said, Nelson, do you not see what God has done in your life? He says, yeah. I said, you said you'd give him your life. You said, you said that you would serve Jesus. If, he says, yeah, but I want to enjoy my life now that I'm healed. And he didn't want to even think about going to church. You see, friends, he experienced one of the great... He, this was stage four cancer. Do you understand me? Stage four. This is no just little common cold. That's, this is a bona fide miracle. And so he went to Cancun. Yeah, he went to Cancun to party. Yeah. Neglected God, couldn't care less. Well, you can see a miracle. It doesn't mean that that miracle is going to change your heart. That's why Jesus, blessed are those who believe and have what? Not seen. How many people, maybe in the, you, do you honestly think, now it, it, it can happen that you see miracles, definitely it will encourage you. And enhance your faith. Of course it does. But that doesn't necessarily mean it, that it will. And I've got many other stories about that. She believed, but she didn't see. Thomas, you believe because you touched me. Jesus said, you touched the side. You, you felt my wound. So now you believe, right? But blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Are you a believer that just operates by sight? Are you a believer that will only go a certain f direction and do certain things only if, you've, you go, if you can just see it and touch it and feel it? If that's the kind of believer you are, yet you walk by sight and not by faith, it you won't last long. There'll be things in your life that won't make sense. There'll be such situations where you're going to have to believe God because you're not seeing anything. And that's why I keep saying, can you trust Him when you can't trace Him? And when you're traveling in the unknown and God's bringing you from the wilderness into a land filled with milk and honey into a new territory that you haven't seen or experienced before, a new experience, you're going to have to step out in faith and you're going to have to trust God because you haven't been there before and if you're going to walk by sight and you've got to operate by only seeing things then, then you're not going to last very long she believed John chapter 12 look what it says the words of Jesus 
in John 12, it says in verse 37, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not in him. John 12, 37. Jesus did many miracles, but they didn't believe in him. Don't think for one moment, because you see a miracle, that that automatically is going to change your life. If you don't walk in faith, if your heart isn't open, it won't make a difference. I've seen that over and over again. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that if we turn to Hebrews 4, we'll find out it needs to be mixed with faith. You can see things, but if it's not mixed with faith, it won't affect your heart. Look what it says here in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. When they heard it, it didn't make a difference because they didn't receive it with faith. Can, can I be really practical with you? How many drink coffee here? How many drink tea here? All right, so let me ask you, sister. You have coffee in the morning? Okay. How do you make your coffee? What do you, what do you put in your coffee? Yeah. And what else? Milk? That's it? Okay. Good for you. I'm very happy for you. Does anybody ever, yes, did anybody put anything else in coffee? Sugar. Who's that sugar? Okay. So if I put sugar in my coffee and just put it in there and then I take the coffee and I drink it, how will it taste? Sweet? No. No, it won't take sweet. Who's? Yes, great. Unless I stir it, it won't taste sweet. It's in the stirring. I remember, there are times I remember I would, you know, go Tim Horton or something, and I'd order, let's say, coffee, and I'd say, put the sugar in there, but the, the, the person wouldn't stir the sugar. I said, hey, there's no sugar. Say, I put sugar in. It wasn't stirred. It's all in the stirring. That's what the Bible says. It did not mix with faith. You didn't stir it spiritually. So I say to you, why is it a preacher can preach a message, right? A preacher can preach a message. Why is it that one person can receive that word and another person does not receive it? Why? Is it possible that it was not received with faith? She received it with faith. She didn't have to see anything. She believed. She believed. Verses 12 to 14 and verse 18 to 20 on. Rahab says, I won't tell anyone that you're here. So Joshua sends the spies. They send the spies to Rahab's house. And she says, oh, okay. I, I, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody that you're here. Please take care of my family when judgment comes. The spies told her that judgment is coming, that God's going to destroy Jericho. She believed it. She believed it. Is that the angels of God singing? Or is it... 
I thought the angels were joining us. Oh, I guess not. Okay. She, she believed that judgment was coming. Why not? She believed the reports. She believed what happened in the past. Why wouldn't she believe that judgment was coming? But she didn't see the judgment. She didn't know about judgment. She never experienced. She didn't even know about God really. What was it about Rahab? She had no evidence of anything. She only heard. Oh, listen, this happened a long time ago. It wasn't happening before her eyes. She never had the experience of being part of this. What was it about Rahab that set her apart this Gentile prostitute who wasn't raised in the church? She didn't go to Bible college. She didn't go to Sunday school. She didn't have a pastor trying to encourage her. What? She had faith. She, she believed. She says, please take care of my family when judgment comes. Verse 15, the spies agreed. In verse 15, tells us that the scarlet cord was to hang from the window. And when we see the scarlet cord as judgment comes, you and your family will be spared. And so the spy says, okay. Your house will be spared. God will have mercy on you. And there will be a scarlet thread coming from your home. And you can just get down from that. And you'll be spared. God will spare. And there's significance with this scarlet thread. Very important. This scarlet thread that spared her life. The scarlet cord is so important. It typifies Jesus' redemptive act on Calvary. It's a picture of redemption. That, that she would escape from the judgment before it comes. And that's what the Bible tells us. If you're a believer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 9. That God has not appointed us unto wrath. When God sends judgment. There's a tribulation period coming to the earth. A great tribulation coming. And many scholars believe. I also believe. That, that the church will not go through this tribulation. That there's going to be a scarlet thread. From Rahab's window so to speak. That thread that will save us from the judgment. Save us from destruction. That Jericho is a picture of the world is going to be destroyed but, but, but those who believe the spiritual Rahabs will be rescued Rahab is a picture of the church and that she would be rescued from, from this devastation this judgment because she believed God will not appoint judgment upon his children he's not appointed us unto wrath the Bible says Tribulation, we suffer tribulation, that's a different thing. We go through trials, that's a different thing. When the Bible speaks of wrath, it speaks of God's judgment upon, this is a corporate thing. God will not allow us to go through the flood in the days of Noah. God will not allow us to go through this cataclysmic event of judgment. God will rescue us just like Noah was rescued and his family in the ark. The ark is a picture also of this scarlet thread. There's always a scarlet thread with God people God will always protect his people like he did with the Israelites when Moses put the blood upon the doorpost and the death angel will pass over the time of judgment we see similar scenario here God's protection 
Verse 15, the spies climbed down the cord to the mountains in darkness and those chasing them couldn't find them for three days. The spies were there and now they're being chased. The people of Jericho are after them for three days. They couldn't find them. They're hiding. God's protecting them. Three days are so significant. Abraham for three day journey to sacrifice his son. Esther fasted for three days. Jonah was in the belly of a whale, no, fish, for three days. Paul, on the road to Damascus, was struck down and was blind for three days. Jesus died and rose again after the third day. There's something significant about three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three days. They couldn't find him. And in verse 22, the two spies reported to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered this land for us. Now what's interesting is that they reported exactly what Joshua reported 40 years earlier. The point is, they didn't need to see to believe, my friend. God has delivered us. They learned something. They were influenced by Joshua. Maybe even by Rahab. God has delivered us. God has brought us to this land. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua and told him what took place. God delivered us. God's going to do this. We have no doubt. Principles, life lessons. Number one, I'll give you principles that begin with P by way of application. We see God's patience to a wicked people. Rahab said, we heard, heard what? That God dried up the Red Sea and all the miracles that took place. As I mentioned earlier, this took place 40 years ago. What this means is that God gave Jericho time to repent. God gave Jericho time to repent for 40 years. They heard. Somehow it circulated what God did. And God wanted Jericho to repent just like he did with the Ninevites. I mean, we often think of God just wanting to deal only with his chosen people. God always had a heart for the lost. Always had a heart for the Gentiles. He did. You go back. Even in the temple, there was a place for the Gentiles to go. He cared for the lost. He, he, and we see this clearly in the Old Testament. He gave them time. He gave Jericho time to turn around. He's merciful, slow to anger. God said to Abraham in Genesis that God will wait for the iniquity of the Amorites to be full. And it happened 420 years later. God was waiting for them to repent all that time. Why? Because he cares for people. He cares for people. You don't want to miss Sunday's sermon. I'll be talking a little bit more about this. But in Jonah 4, the Bible said, Should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than 120,000 people? He tells to Jonah, Jonah, I'm sending you there to save these Gentiles. These aren't Jews. These aren't Hebrews. These are Gentiles. God is sending Jonah to save Gentiles. Jonah is a picture of an evangelist. And these Ninevites, a picture of the world. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. We see this here in Jonah chapter 4 verse 9. In Revelation chapter 2 verse 21, the Bible says, And I gave space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. The Bible says God gave time for them to repent, but they weren't willing to repent. Revelation 2 21. He gives time for repentance. That's why things don't happen overnight. And they don't happen overnight. But God's giving us opportunities to make it right. And we see this over and over and over again. And so despite all the mercy, only Rahab believed. Only one person. One person in all of Jericho. Why would God put so much effort for one person? The same reason why Jesus would leave the 99 and go rescue the one. The same reason. Because it's the same God. Because God doesn't count by thousands. We do. God counts by ones. He cares for that one person cares and he sees the tears of that one person that nobody sees when you feel abandoned alone he sees your tears he knows your name one person just one person can make such a difference Rahab made such a difference one with God my friends is not a minority one with God is a majority one person can do so much. Samson, God used him to defeat an entire army. One man, one man. David turned the course of history around for the Hebrew. One man, the Apostle Paul, made such a difference. One man, Shamgar, one man in Judges chapter 3, I believe it's the 31st of it. Shamgar took one whip, one man to defeat 600 Philistines. One, one with God is a majority. Don't ever forget that. One and so God has patience with wicked people, with the unsaved. But in the second theme, number two, God's passion for one individual. Second Peter three nine doesn't want anyone to perish. And in Hebrews eleven thirty one, the Bible says that she received the spies with uh, the, with with peace. God sent these spies, these men, to Rahab's house to tell her what was going to happen. She needed to hear. The word of God. At the end of the day, my friends, God needs your mouth to speak his word. The tragedy and travesty of the closed mouth. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, and, and Philip opened his mouth and he spoke. My friends, we need to open our mouths and speak his word. People cannot hear without a preacher, the Bible says in Romans your calling primarily, and my calling, it's not, you know, we look at the pastors and evangelists, oh, listen, your calling is to speak his word. When you become a believer, your responsibility is to share with people what God has done in your life, and who he is. That's, it's, it's, that's what you're called to do. 
Every single believer who's truly touched by God, do you know what the automatic response is when God truly touches you? Do you know what, what takes place automatically when someone truly gets saved? You've got to tell somebody. It just happens. You, you, you can't keep your mouth closed. That's your calling. To share God's word and God's love. Oh, pastor, I'm not an evangelist, you know. Excuse me. Do you think the world has been won just by these evangelists? The world is won one by one through people like you and me. Through people at your work, through people at your school, through people at your airline, through people where you were. It's one on one. Do you think I can reach people that you... I can't reach the people you can reach. God's got his people everywhere. He's got his plumbers, his doctors. He's got his lawyers. He's got his salesmen. He's got people where you work to deal with people. God counts by ones. He cares for the individual. He cared enough for the eunuch. He sent Philip out of Gaza, out of a revival, to go speak to one man. One man. cared so much for Hagar she was kicked out by Abraham Hagar takes her son Ishmael in the desert nothing to eat or drink hardly dying her lips cracked swollen from drought and all of a sudden in their greatest pain God speaks to her Hagar what aileth thee what's the matter tell me I'm, I'm here for you he's there he sees the Hagars he he sees the Rahab. He counts one by one. He cares for souls. <laughs> one of the great stories I have that I like to share every so often is about this little boy, 14-year-old, 13-year-old boy, barely a teenager. Found him in the coast, California, one day early in the morning, and he was just there in the shoreline. His parents had a a house right by the shoreline. He was out one morning and there were myriads and myriads of starfish on the shoreline. Myriads. Just landed there, beached there. And here's this little boy just picking up these starfish, throwing it back in the water. He spent hours just... And as he was doing that, there was this man on top of the cliff watching this boy doing this. And he just spent about 15 minutes watching him. He says, so he went down to the boy. This is a true story. He went down to the boy. He says, hey, son, he says, uh, yeah, I appreciate what you're doing, but, it, it, you know, it really doesn't make sense. And, and really, what's the purpose of all this? There's so many of them. There's no purpose. This boy, he's a boy. He looks at this man. He had the presence of mind to pick up one starfish. He shows him. He casts the starfish back into the water. He looks at the man, he said, sir, for that starfish, it meant everything this world can possibly mean. It meant everything to that starfish. You see, my friends, one soul that gets saved means everything to God. I know there's myriads of people, but that one starfish that you throw back, it means everything. To that creature, one soul, 
One soul, the Bible says the angels rejoice when one soul comes. One soul. And so, my friends, it's important that God cared enough for Rahab that told her what to do before the judgment came. Before the judgment came, God told Rahab what to do. Why again? Because God has not appointed us unto wrath. Rahab was spared from wrath. Rahab, in a sense, is a picture of the church that will be raptured before the wrath comes. Will be taken away. For behold, the Lord shall descend from heaven with the shout, voice of the ark the top of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive remain shall be caught up together in the air. Caught up together in the air. I know there's people that don't believe in the rapture. I don't see how you cannot believe in the rapture. It's very clear. The Bible speaks of it in Philippians, speaks of it in Corinthians. But she was rescued before the destruction. This story illustrates God's purpose in salvation. She was spared in judgment. But what happened to Rahab? That's the question. After she was rescued. Very important. What happened to Rahab? Well, genealogies don't really... I mean, it's not very appealing to most people. You never... If I'm going to ask you, Oh, sir, uh, can I ask you, where, where, where did you study? What were your devotions this morning? I don't think anybody in this room would say, Well, pastor, I studied the genealogies found in Matthew chapter 1. No, 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 no. People don't study genealogies, certainly not for devotion. They're not very inspirational. You know, the genealogy, he begat this and she begat that. He be, you know, he was the son. It's not very inspirational. Ah, my friends. But I'll tell you, I'm brought to tears with some genealogies. There's something in the genealogies that are so powerful. I'm going to share with you an insight that I just saw recently that I've never seen before. But before we get to this genealogy, let me give you the genealogy of Rahab. What happened to Rahab? Well, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, well, we can start with verse 1, the book of generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, Abraham begat Isaac, then begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas, and his brethren, verse number 3, Judas begat Pharaz, and Zerah, Tamar, and uh, Esau, from the begat, begat Aram, begat Abinadab, Abinadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon, stay with me, verse 5, and Salmon begat Boaz, I know you're sleeping, but wake up, watch this, and Salmon begat Boaz of who? Rachel, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, Ruth, she's another Moab, she's another Gentile, what's going on, we got two Gentiles here. Obed begat Jesse. Oh, it's getting... And Jesse begat who? David. And, king, and David, the king, begat Solomon of her. And that he had been the wife of Uriah. And we go on all the way to what? To Jesus. Verse 15. And Eliezer begat Nathan. And Nathan begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was born what happened to Rahab? She was one of the four. She, through her line, brought forth the Messiah. Her lineage. A prostitute Gentile. One Amorite. Did you see that? We see grace. We see mercy. 
We see God's love for the unsaved now entering into the genealogies of Christ. God's mercy not only was it Rahab, Tamar also was a prophet. Ruth was a Moab. We see three women that you and I would never choose to be in the genealogies of Jesus. Wow! How powerful! How glorious! And so God honored Rahab and he allowed her to be part of this lineage. Messiah would come forth. From a, I'll give you some peas. From a prostitute to a princess. From a princess to the pedigree of Jesus. My goodness, princess means overcomer. Oh, my friend, that's prophetic. You see, friend, only God can do that. Only God is the God of the second chance who can restore. And through him, thanks be to Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, thanks be to Christ who always causes me to triumph. To, or the other word for triumph is to overcome. The same Greek word, overcomer, overcomer, to triumph. And so, my friends, before I close this text, we're going into chapter 3. But before I do that, let me give you some more life lessons. Number one, the city of Jericho represents the world in her sin. The world. Spies represent the preachers and the ministers. The scarlet cord that came from Rahab's window still exists. Only it comes from heaven's window through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. I talked about genealogies. You want to know about genealogies? How many are ready to, to get really excited? Is anybody willing to get really excited? Let me show you something that is so powerful. Something that I just saw recently that is amazing. And so Rahab, we see through her lineage, Jesus the Messiah came. But we also see a prophetic element in the book of Genesis concerning Jesus. There's something in the book of Genesis <coughs> excuse me, that brings us to Christ in a very powerful way. I want you to read with me in Genesis chapter 5. I want you to see something. Now watch this now. We're going to close in a few moments this, this particular chapter here. But I want to show you something, how powerful genealogies are. This relates to Rahab. But I want to show you something that took place before Rahab. How God had something prepared throughout the beginning of time. Through Jesus and through these men and women and the meaning of their names. Watch this now. This is the book of the generations of Adam. Verse 1. In the day that God created man, male and female. Verse 3. Of chapter 5. And Adam lived 130 years. And begat a son in his own likeness. After his, his image. And called his name Seth. Verse 5. In all the days of Adam. He lived 930 years. And he died. And Seth lived. Days of Seth were 912 years. Verse 9. And Enos lived 99 years. And begat Canaan. Watch this now. Enos lived after Canaan. 890. 15 years and begat sons and daughters. In all the days of Enos, there were 905 years and he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalel. 
And Cain lived after he begat Mahalalel, 840 years, and begat sons and daughters. Please don't sleep on me. We're getting, it's going to get more powerful. Watch this. All the days of Canaan were 910 years and died. And Mahalalel lived. Watch this now. 65 years and begat Jared. And Mahalalel lived after he begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years. And he died. Jared lived 162 years and begat Enoch. Jared lived after, begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. And Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after begat Methuselah 300 years and sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived 108 and 7 years and begat Lamech. Lamech and Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 782 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. And Lamech lived 108 and 2 years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah saying the same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Noah was, verse 32, 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Jem. Okay. Thank you, Pastor, for reading the genealogies. But I'm confused. I, I, I don't see why you're so excited. Well, I just read Matthew chapter 1. We... We looked at Rachel being part of the lineage. But the genealogies, my friend, tells us so much more. When you look at the Hebrew names, stay with me. When you look at these Hebrew names, Enosh, Jared, Methuselah, what do these names mean? Now watch this now. Watch this now. Watch this, watch this now. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Stay with me. We're going places. Enosh means mortal. Canaan means sorrow. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared shall come down. Enoch, verse 18, means teaching or teacher. Methuselah means death shall bring desperation or despairing. Lamech, verse 25, despairing. Or, dis, or, 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 or depravity. And Noah, verse 29, means comfort and rest. Can I, can I bring it all together now? So let me add up all these names. Oh, are you ready? You add up all these names. You add them all up. In Genesis chapter 5, and we get the gospel message of redemption. How, how is that? Okay. I'm glad you asked. You ready? Here's the gospel message. The three names, one, two, three. We talked about Adam, Seth, and Enosh. Man appointed into moral sorrow means man is separated from God with no way to get back to him. Blessed God shall come down teaching. Mahel, Jared, and Enosh, the next three names. Blessed God shall come down teaching. Jesus coming down in his creation. Bringing the word of God. Bringing salvation. Thirdly, 
Methuselah, Lamech, means despairing. His death shall bring despairing. People are lost without any hope. The death and resurrection of Jesus removes our sin. Through his death, he reconciles us back to the Father. As a result of man appointed moral sorrow, blessed God coming down teaching, his death shall bring despairing. In other words, his death shall bring victory over the despairing. What's the result? Noah, comfort and rest. He's our peace. He's our salvation. Jesus reflects all of these names. They're all types of what Jesus, of who he is and what he will do on the cross. Genesis chapter 5 gives us the gospel message through the names of these people. Can you imagine next time you read the genealogies? Oh, can you imagine that? Man in his depraved state, Adam, appointed to wrath. We see the message. Death, the coming down, bringing teaching and salvation, redemption. Bringing rest and peace. Wow. Genesis chapter 5 gives us the gospel message to the names of these patriarchs, if you will. What a message. What a message. And we see that Rahab is part of this. We see one who believed and made a difference in this world, one that didn't let her history Determine her destiny. She could have lived in her past. She could have lived. Without hope. Who am I? I'm just a Gentile. But she took a stand. She took a stand as she experienced her own. Unknown territory. By trusting God. That she didn't fully grasp. But she believed. She took a risk by allowing the spies to come. And to hide them. It would have costed her, cost her life if the king found out that she was hiding the spies. But she took a risk. She took a stand. She trusted in God. Oh my Lord. She made a difference. One person. And so can you, my friend. You see, friends, life lesson. You have to be willing to be different. You have to be willing even to be controversial. Yes, you, you've got to be willing to be even talked about. See, the greatest problem in our community today is that we are just too sensitive. We are more willing to be liked than to be fruitful. We're more willing to be accepted than to stand out. We're more willing to, to amalgamate and, and just let's, let's, not, let's not push the envelope. We, we don't want to be too outspoken. We, we just want to keep our Christianity to ourselves. We, we are just too sensitive. Oh, my friends, and you're praying to God. Oh, what, 
Look what they said about me, Lord. Look what she said. But oh, friends, God is saying, unless you are willing to deny yourself and pick up the cross and follow me, unless you're willing, like Rachel, to face all these uncertainties and even face death and even face all kinds of problems because of your faith, then you're not worthy even to serve me. He that loveth mother and father and daughter and mother, not worthy of me. Who will take a stand today in this land filled with Amorites, Amalekites, and Jebusites, and Perizzites, and all kinds of ites, parasites? Life lesson if a sea couldn't stop. Moses, if a wall couldn't stop Joshua, if a giant couldn't stop David, if death couldn't stop Jesus, then my friend, no situation and no one can stop you. For if Christ be with you, who? When God leads you into the unknown territory and you don't see clearly if you can just trust in him when you face the walls of Jericho if you can trust in him when you face the Jordan River and it's flooded over flooded and you you got to cross but but you can't cross because there's too much water and you're saying how am I going to do it when you face Goliath and he's nine foot tall and you're 130 pounds soaking wet and all you got is a rock if he did it then, he can do it now. Rahab was a true hero because she was all alone and took a chance and took a risk. Let me tell you something. One more thing. Stop playing it safe all the time. You want to make a difference in this world? Stop playing it safe all the time. Rahab took a risk. Too many of us just want to be comfortable. We don't want to take a risk because if I take a risk, then what if, look, there's always going to be the what ifs. Rahab could have said, but what if I get caught? Peter could have said, well, I don't want to get out of the boat. Look, look what if? But he did. There's always going to be a what if. When it comes to the things of God, my friend. But if you allow the what-ifs to control you, then you're walking by sight and not by faith. There will always be a what-if. You can be sure of that. Stop making excuses. Because Rahab could have been filled with them. She was the only one who believed. That's why she's in the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31. We move on to chapter 3 tonight. We're just going to touch, touch chapter 3. We, I don't think we're going to be able to finish it. We are looking at the book of Joshua chapter by chapter. We finished chapter 2. And now we are in chapter 3 and we start to see something powerful take place after Rahab. After this story, it sets a precedent into chapter 3. Now watch this. Let's begin. We'll look at the first few verses. And Joshua rose early in the morning. I want to stop right there. 
Too many of us, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we don't like that very much. We don't like to rise up early, tired, busy. And I understand that. We get tired. But friends, I want, I want to tell you something as Joshua, you know, write the Bible. If you don't learn or get into a habit of rising up early, it will affect your spiritual life for the rest of your life. When you study the Bible and you study the men of God, you'll, you'll discover that all of them rose up early and they prayed. They, made, they spent time with God. It doesn't say how much time. It could be 10 minutes. It could be an hour. It doesn't say how much. But they, they started off with God. They had some kind of intimacy. could be by your bedside before you get up. I mean, there's no description how. But there's certainly clear evidence that there was some kind of prayer. Something that they did. They sought God. David especially. David was, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. And my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and weary land where there's no water. To see thy power and thy glories I've seen thee in the sanctuary. All of that. Early in the morning. He rose up early in the morning. And they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. And... And he had all the children of Israel lodged there before they... Ah, there's the key word. They are now going to pass over. Passed over. They're going to cross over. From the familiar to the unfamiliar. Yeah, yeah, they already went through Jericho, but now they're going to get right into the crux of the matter. They're going to get right into where God wants them to be. Jericho was the first. Jericho was, the, 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 the ice had to be broken at Jericho. Has to be broken. And so we're going to cross over. Rahab lived in that vicinity. And so now we're going to go deeper into the land. Watch now. Verse number two, and it came to pass after three days. No, there's number three days again that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when ye see the Ark of the Covenant, watch this now, and the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it that ye may know the way by which Ye must go, ye have not passed there before. You've not been there. I'm bringing you into the unknown. So you better listen. I'm giving you instructions. I didn't give you the details before, but I'm giving you the instructions now. So listen carefully. This is what needs to be done. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass over before the people. And they took the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all of Israel, that they might know that I, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Wow. Now we're getting into the series. We're getting deeper here. Verse 4 tells us they, they have not passed this way before. That's right. See, friends, when you're going through uncharted territories, sometimes there's going to be fear. There's the fear of the unknown when we go into uncharted territories. The fear of what's going to happen. We haven't been here before. We haven't seen these giants before. 
We haven't experienced this. What's going to happen, Lord? What are you going to do? I don't know what, what's going to take place. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and behind them, there were the graves of their forefathers. And before them now, there is the land flowing with milk and honey. It's exciting. But they weren't sure what's going to take place. And in these waning moments of their wilderness journey, they faced the same kind of fears that their forefathers faced. And that we might face as we face the unknown, these giants. How are we going to respond to them? You see, friends, when they came to the brook of the Jordan, it was during harvest time. The banks were overflowed with water. They were flooded. The Bible tells us in this chapter that the Jordan was flooded with water. And now God brings them at a certain time. That's always a precise time. There's no accidents with God. God had them there at this time for a reason. And you know friends. You might be experiencing a flood. When thou goest through the, uh, the waters. Through the rivers. They will not overflow you. When you go through these floods. You might think they're going to overflow you. You might think you're going to drown. Here is Israel and Joshua is leading them. And God brings them to the Jordan. And it's overflowing. They can't cross the Jordan. It's like the Red Sea to them. And we're going to see similarities in, in Joshua's experience. As, as what happened with Moses. Moses faced the Red Sea. But Joshua's facing the Jordan that was overflowing with water. It was during a flood. How are we going to cross this? We don't have a boat, Lord. There's no real instructions how to do this. No human means to cross, Lord. Crossing over the Hebrew word is a bar to cross. Watch this now. It means passing out of what you've been accustomed to. Passing out of what you've been accustomed to. I'm going to do a new thing. And as you cross the Jordan, this becomes a picture of what I'm going to do in your life. Something new that you haven't experienced. I, I, I did it with the Red Sea, but you were still in the wilderness. You still had the mindset of the wilderness. You still had a lot of Egypt in you. But I'm doing a new thing now. I'm going to give you a new mindset. I'm going to show you things. You're not going to pick up the manna anymore. I'm going to bring you into intimacy. You're going to be working with me. We are co-workers with Christ. I'm going to show you things. That you've never seen or experienced before. I'm going to cross out of what you've been not accustomed to. What God is saying that your wilderness is over. I've got something fresh. A bar. You're going to cross into something new. Something. And you know friends. It's just for free. But I believe every generation needs an abar. Needs something fresh. Needs something new. I believe Logos needs something fresh. Something new. And as we come to year 2024. My, my prayer is Lord. Give us something fresh. Something new. We need this generation to see the glory of God. We need this generation to see the power of God. Lord as we cross over. As we take our abar. 
bar into something new. Lord, give, give, give us a fresh visitation. Let, let, even though the waters might be flood, Lord, let us, let us cross over into the promised land, Lord. May this be the time. Ah, yes, but they heard about the promised land and they were excited, but they also heard about the giants. The giants and their well-fortified cities. And this brought fear to some of them. The point is, when God asks you to do something, my friend, it's not always going to be easy. See, we think because God is in it or because God's called you to do something, it's going to be easy. The furthest from the truth. That's the... Because God has called you to do something... It might be the most difficult thing you've ever experienced or have ever seen. When Paul was called to the, to the ministry, he never experienced the pain that he experienced. He never had stones thrown at him. He was never shipwrecked or beaten or flogged. He was never left for dead. How about our forefathers, brothers and sisters, the first Christians in the early church? Do you know what they went through? When I was in Bible college, I studied church history, one of my favorite courses. And I studied our forefathers and their lives and what they experienced. I'm telling you, it was unconscionable, some of the things they went through. As they were being skinned alive, skinned alive for their faith. And had salt thrown on them. The pain. All because they wouldn't repent from their faith. They wouldn't recant. They wouldn't turn away from Jesus. And so they said, okay, if you don't, this is what will happen to you. And they took it. Think about that just for a moment. They would rather, some of them, rather be skinned alive and salted than to deny their faith. And we blame God when we get a common cold. <laughs> oh God. Boy, have things changed. Sometimes when God asks you to do something, it might even cost you your life. It might cost you your job. It might cost you something that's very important to you. Why do you think Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself? You see, if you're not denying yourself, then you can't do it. If you're not living self-denial, there's no way you'll be able to go through these things. You follow me? And so God was calling him to cross, but they knew it wasn't going to be easy. Maybe some of you today, as we bring it home, are on the bank of the Jordan. Maybe some of you are entering new territory. You don't have a road map. And like Rahab, you've got to take a risk and you're contemplating. Maybe you're about to get married. Maybe you got a new job. Something new is taking place. 
You're not sure of certain things. But you know God is in it, yet you see the difficulty of it. But friends, let me say it again, because it's difficult, or because it's hard, or because it might not even make sense, that doesn't mean that God is not in it. When I read the scriptures and I study the word of God, I can tell you this. Whenever God called somebody or asked somebody, it was never easy. However, if God be with you, who can be against you? So we have the hope that he'll be with us in the flood. That he'll be with us in the furnace. And today we're going to see how God provided for them. I'm just going to give you one point and we'll conclude this chapter next week. But friends, this is also a word for Logos. You see, Logos, my brothers and sisters on YouTube and Facebook, as God provided for the Israelites, he also promises us the very same thing when Jesus said, Lo, I am with you to the very ends of the earth. There's three things we want to look at in this particular text that God gave them to equip them. I'm going to give you a couple of P's that we can focus in on. The first thing that they had to encourage them to continue was they had the performance of a God who worked in the past. Remember what God said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And they had that assurance. And Joshua tells them, you need to reflect. I'll give you principles with P and R. First one, you need to reflect and to embrace what that means, O Israel. What does it mean that as I was with God speaking, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Do you know how powerful that is? How amazing is that? What kind of assurance do I have as I reflect on it? Let's look at Joshua chapter 1 verses 3 and 5. Let's read what happens. It says here, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and from Lebanon, even unto the great river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee. As I was with Moses, I will be with thee and I will not forsake thee. Can you imagine Joshua telling the people this? This is what God has said. He heard the voice of God. And God tells the people. Do you know how kind of an assurance that. Can you imagine if you really believed. In your heart that God will be with you. As he was with Moses. Look what Moses went through. Look at the things he experienced. All the miracles. And God is saying. Look, look. I, as I was with Moses, Joshua. I'll be with you. And you tell the people. And we discover in chapter 1. That Joshua tells the people. I want you to reflect on that. I want to show you what I'm going to do. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells us the verse number 2. Watch this now. Verse number 2. And thou shalt remember or reflect the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in your heart. Verse 4 and verse 7 says, however, your clothes were sustained. 
Your sandals were sustained. All your food, all your needs were met. I don't want you to forget that. I want you to reflect. The word reflect means to ponder. I want you to, it almost has the meaning of meditating. I meditate. I muse it over. I want to let you have this truth sink deep into your hearts. I want you to reflect on this. I want this to go deep that I will not forsake you. See, it's one thing to have it in your head. It's another thing to have it in your heart. That's why, that's why people, well, I believe in God. Well, no, you don't. Believe doesn't mean to have an intellectual understanding. Believe is a Greek word, pistevo, which means to believe with your head, your mind, and your spirit. It's full. It means to believe with everything in your heart. So when you're reflecting, you're meditating, you're letting that truth sink deep into your spirit. That's what it means to reflect, to ponder, to muse. I don't want you to just to have it in your head. God's going to provide for you. Now, listen to me, friends. There's an interesting statistic. Uh, uh, someone, a scholar, was able to assess this. And I want you to hear what he says about how God was able to meet their needs and how God was able to maintain them as, as he did with Moses. I, w- I want to share something, and this will be my last thought. Watch this now. There were about 2 million people going through the desert for 40 years. We understand that. And this man, this scholar says, it would have taken, watch this now, about 4,000 tons a day of food, two freight trains about two miles long carrying this each day. It would take 11 million gallons of water just for one day. Where were you? You would need 1,800 freight trains to carry all of this. And every time they moved, they had to find a space, a third the size of Rhode Island, 750 square miles. It's it's inconceivable how God can maintain these people each day and provide for so many people on a regular basis. Deuteronomy 8.4, I said, your clothes, nothing would wear out, your shoes would not wear out. You would have divine assistance, heavenly garments, everything will be taken care for you, your water, your food, each and every day. Reflect on this, as I did it for Moses and the people of Israel in the fort, I'm going to do it for you. You can be sure that I will do it again. You can be sure I will do it again. This is what David, this is what Joshua understood. My friends, let me put it to you this way. When there was no food, God provided there was no water, Jehovah Jireh provided. Where there was no way through the desert, he led them by a pillar, a cloud. A cloud would lead them. Our friends, what he did for Israel, he can do for you. And so here they are standing before the Jordan with all of their fears. And Joshua says, oh Israel, don't fear, but reflect on what God can do. Reflect on his grace. Reflect on his mercy. The devil wants to put fear in you. Put doubt. Reflect on his promises. He can do it again. If he told the Red Sea where to split and he did it, he will do it again. If he told the walls of Jericho to fall and he did it, 
he will do it again. If he told the chains where to break and he did it, oh Paul, oh Paul, he can do it again and again. If he told the bones to come alive in Ezekiel and he did it, he can do it. If he told Lazarus, come forth out of the grave. He can do it. There's nothing he cannot do. Oh, my friends, he can do it again and again and again and again because we serve a great and mighty God. If he did it for Joshua, he can, he can do it for you. If he did it for Moses, he can do it for you because he loves you just as much. He's not a respecter of person. He sees the individual. He sees you. He sees the Rahabs. He sees that one sheep that's gone astray. Oh, what a great God we serve. How can we describe his mercy? How are we able to explain his grace? Our words pale. Pale, they cannot explain the greatness of God. When we face the unknown, friends, remember, reflect on his promises that he will not abandon you. And he'll be with you to the very ends of the earth. Let's all stand together.